we experienced a mighty move of God last night in Manly Night. Amen? I just want to encourage all of you that for whatever reasons, you are not able to be at Manly Night. I'm telling you, God sat down on us. Uh, I never know how many people I invite to Manly Night because I invite everyone I talk to. And uh, Mr. Dennis, he always fixes more food than we've ever eaten, so I know I can just invite, invite, invite. And uh, last night, our emphasis, men, was to be in a men's Bible study. We all need encouragement. We all need love. We all need support. We always need someone. Uh, you know, I hugged one man because I just hugged all the men. This one guy I'd never seen before, and I hugged him. He said, hey, I don't hug men. And he didn't know I was Pastor Phil, you know. I have authority to hug all men. But anyway, I, I said, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And uh, I said, you know, there's a little boy in every man that loves daddy hugs. And that's why I hug men. I'm Pastor Phil here. He says, well, you can go ahead and hug me then. <laughs> I'm telling you what, let's just stand back up. You know, when I'm hurting, when I'm afraid, I love it that my grandchildren, when they see Papa, they come running, and we hug each other, and we put cheek to cheek, baby. And they just put their little cheeks on Papa's cheek, and I say, you are precious. You're the most precious little guy. You're the most precious little girl. Papa loves you with all of his heart. Jesus loves you. You're precious. And they just keep their cheek right there. You know, I know a lot of us never had a papa to do that to us. I know some of us never had a daddy do that to us. I didn't either. My daddy was raised in an orphanage. He loved me with all of his heart, but he never knew how to say to me. I never heard it. My whole growing up, I love you, son. He didn't know how to say it because it was never said to him. And you know, I know we get these old habits, but let me tell you something. I don't care how big you are. If you're a man, you have a little boy inside you that you've always longed to have a daddy say, you're precious, you're the best, I love you, son. And if you're a little girl and never had a daddy to be godly and safe, you long for that. Instead of being scared of your daddy, you wanted your daddy to be safe with you and loving. And, and I know you don't, know people and I'm not going to push something on you you don't know but you know you can all do a handshake can't you <laughs> and just say I love you or better yet if you can't say that just say God loves you and he proved that by giving his son Jesus and I know Daniel so I can give him a hug <laughs> just greet each other God loves you some of you I know need to hear that this morning okay sweetest take your bulletin we're going to have an invitation at the close of the service for people to reaffirm if you were not here last Sunday. And for you that are visiting, we do this each January just to remind us why we're here. We're surrendered to be a dynamic community of faith and that means we live with biblical values and we live with a covenant before God and with each other to be his people. And so we'll do that at the close of the service. But right now, I want you to take out this yellow insert. Now, as I talk about this, I want you to know, I know that several people in our fellowship, before they came to Christ, they had abortions. And so this is a difficult subject to talk about. It is painful. And that's why the cross of Jesus covers every sin in our lives. But I do this to just let you know why we are surrendered to be a dynamic community of faith because there is a lost world and it is dark and it is hurting. And we must be a praying, loving, caring, serving fellowship. And I want you to know, I believe with all my heart, the scriptures teach that Jesus Christ's blood shed on the cross is sufficient for every sin for every sin and if you've had an abortion I want you to know you come to Jesus 
for complete forgiveness. There is no parentheses in the scriptures about forgiveness. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from almost all our sin. No, from all our sin. But students, students and, and young adults, I want you to hear this. We live in an insane society. And I want you to understand abortion is never the answer. Is never the answer. And tragically, millions of people believe it is. So I just wanted to make you aware of if you're looking at the side, I had never seen this information, and Mr. David let me know that he could provide, even from 1973 to the present time, you see we will pass the 55 million mark of abortions. Now what breaks my heart on many accounts is 1973 is the year I graduated from college. And the church that I was in, they preached the word, but not one thing was said about this. And I was in total ignorance of it. I mean, I heard it on the news, but that just shows you how we can sleep through things. And that's why I've entitled Turn the Other Side, We Must Be Salt and We Must Be Light. Now just follow as I read this. At some point this year, the United States will experience its 55 millionth legal abortion. To put the total number of 55 million in perspective, the combined number of military deaths in all of America's wars from the Revolutionary War to the Second Iraq War is 1.2 million. This is incomprehensible, isn't it? I, I, I can't even get my mind around it. The total span 40 years, beginning with the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision on January 22nd, legalizing abortion nationwide. The abortion count is based on data compiled by the Guttmacher Institute, which supports abortion rights. So we don't even know if this is really an accurate figure. National Right to Life releases an annual tally using the Guttmacher data, data. The number is incomprehensible because Roe and its companion decision, Doe versus Bolton, placed America's abortion laws to the left of most of the developed world. For instance, most of Europe that's just godless, it's pagan, including Great Britain, Spain, Germany, and Sweden, yet have more restrictions on abortion than does the United States. Roe and Doe legalized abortion at any stage of pregnancy for any reason. A 2004 Guttenmacher study found that 86% of abortions are done for convenience. Rape and incest each were cited by less than half of a percent of all women who underwent abortion. And here is my prayer and my thank you. If you've not been here for the last three weeks, we have been reviewing, like we do each year, what God called us to be when we became a church. We are surrendered to be a dynamic community of faith, which is endeavoring to impact the world by experiencing, living, modeling, and communicating authentic faith. And from that, we've looked at biblical values that we don't live by our feelings, we don't live by our circumstances, we don't live by our past, we don't live by the pressures of our present or the unknown of our future. We live by values because whatever you value will determine what you do. See, if you don't value being kind and tender-hearted to one another at home, you will be ugly to each other at home. And that's why most Christians are ugly at home. Sometimes Christians are even ugly to each other at church, aren't they? Because they don't have a value that that's out of bounds. No, in Christ, we're to be kind and tender-hearted to each other. 
So after we went through those values, I told you what? Go home and have a Joshua 24:15 meeting at the kitchen table and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This will be our values. And when we get out of bounds, someone says, that's not our value. We don't act like that. The church staff here knows that we have biblical values. If one of them starts acting ugly, I say, you're out of bounds. You're supposed to be sweet. You're supposed to be kind. You're supposed to be merciful. You're supposed to be forgiving. You're supposed to be encouraging. And because I go over that over and over, they know that's right. That's our value. And then we looked at our covenant. This is how we will live our life. Covenant, God is a covenant God. The Bible is a covenant book. Over 300 times, God makes covenants with people. So we're covenant people. And then what we will do at the close of the service, there's another insert, and you see that's for members. Now, for all of you that are not members, next Sunday, I'll start teaching from 9 to 10, 15, what's called life development. And I encourage all of you to come to that that are not a member. Do you, if by attending, do you automatically become a member? No, that's your choice at the end. But we try to show you the privilege of being a surrendered person to Jesus. See, the church, the reason why there's 55 million precious little lives, because the church has not been surrendered. The church has not been sought. The church has not been light. And the world, including most people in a church, live not by the Word of God, but they live how? By their feelings, by their circumstances, by their past. And there's no freedom there. Now, wherever you are today, take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Wherever you are today, I want you to know if you're not surrendered, if you're not impacting the world, if you're not a person that lives submitted to the authority of God's Word, if you don't have peace, if you don't have rest in Christ, if you don't have His purpose and joy in your life, it's for one reason, you don't know yet who Jesus is. Now just remember that point. Wherever you struggle, wherever in the future that you're struggled, you're stressed out, you're discontent, it's never because of your circumstance. It's never because of your circumstance. It's never because of your pressure. It's never because of anything external outside. It's always because wherever you are in your walk, you still have not yet discovered who Jesus is. And I'm going to show you this. The passage we're going to read today, remember Jesus had a three-year ministry. And in that three-year ministry, there were many that followed him as the Messiah, the Lord. And then remember in the gospel accounts, one night Jesus fasted and he prays that out of all of these that have followed him, he appointed 12 to be called apostles. And then for that next year and a half, those 12 were with him 24-7. And he saw his whole mission through these 12. He was going to reach the whole world through these 12. So now they've been walking with him 24-7 a year. And he's six months before he's going to the cross. And that's the setting where I begin to read. And you're going to see... As much as they knew about Jesus, there was much they still didn't know about Jesus, and so they struggled. Let's read Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. Have your ink pens ready. If you don't have an ink pen, put your hand in a pocket. There are no mouse traps. There may be bubble gum. But hopefully you'll find an ink pen, and then just wash your hands after the service. All right, Matthew 16. And by the way, teenagers and children and adult men, that is not the place to put your bubble gum and wrappings, okay? Every once in a while I clean them out and I'm amazed at how much stuff people put in there. Okay, here we go, Matthew 16, 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, 
he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now underline that. See, different people saw Jesus in different ways. They did then, and they do today. Every one of us, I assure you, we may have common things that we see Jesus, but we all see Jesus differently. And so he was asking them, what do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say, here's the various opinions, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, and underline this question, because everything is built on who do you say that I am? Now right there we notice that no one said anything. It was silent. And Simon Peter, often the speaker for the group, replied, You are the Christ. Now circle the word Christ. That means anointed one. That means Messiah. That means God with us. See, Jesus is the human name Jehovah saves for the Son of Man. Christ is the God in flesh, Messiah, anointed one. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's saying you are God. And Jesus answered him, see right in your margin, this is grace. Just like we didn't choose Jesus, he chooses us. We don't come to know him apart from his grace in our life. He says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven. Remember last night for you were there, Brad talked about a family member for years talking to him about God, but just as 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, you can hear about God all day long and have this veil by the God of this age, Satan, over your eyes where it just goes right over your head. Now you can know who Jesus is in your life, not what you say, but how you behave. Now that's good enough to write down. See, I know who Jesus is in my life, not even by the way I preach, not by the way I teach, but the way I behave when life is hard, by the way I behave in disagreements, by the way I behave in disappointments, by the way I behave when it's midnight in my life and there's disease and death and I can't see God anywhere except then I know who Jesus is in my life. And we're going to see Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ, but he didn't know he was the Lamb of God. Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ, but he didn't know that Jesus was the resurrection. Well, we read on there. And I tell you, you are Peter. Now, in your margin, circle Peter and write the word Petros. P-E-T-R-O-S. That's the Greek word for a little rock, a little stone. Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. And on this rock, and circle that word, and in the other margin, write Petra, P-E-T-R-A. And by the way, Caesarea Philippi rests on a huge ledge of rock. And of all the places, this is about 25 miles north of Sea of Galilee, Jesus up in the north extremities of where the Jews live. He takes them up here, and on this ledge of the rock, he says, I want you to know, Peter, you're a little rock down there. You're a little flint, but I want you to know I'm the ledge, I'm the rock, I'm the foundation, I'm the cornerstone. And upon Jesus, Petra, what's going to happen? I'm going to build my church. Church is the word ecclesia. It means the called out, called out from darkness to light. See, the church is not built on any person. The church is not built on any faith. The church is built on Jesus Christ, God in flesh, King of kings, Lord of lords. And aren't you glad? Because even when we're faithless, He's the Christ, the faithful one. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, 
Jesus Christ, myself, I will build my church. And that's why the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And now he speaks of kingdom power and kingdom authority. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And that's why we submit our life to the authority of God. That's why we submit our lives to the presence of the Holy Spirit. That we might live with that power and authority. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now why is that there? Because when you read the Gospel of John, Jesus often says, My hour has not yet come yet. And see, Jesus has everything in his hand. Jesus is the eternal Lord God. He knows before beginning. He knows after the end. And he knows he's headed for the cross. And he knows these men are going to fail miserably, as he told them right before they went to the cross. Peter, you're going to betray me. All of you are going to run because you don't know yet who I am. And I want you to keep hearing that wherever you're struggling today. It's because yet in your journey, as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, as you're walking in this journey of of walking by faith, learning that wherever you or I struggle, it's because you do not know yet who Jesus is. But if you keep blaming it on other people and your past and your circumstances, you'll get nowhere. Just see, wherever you struggle, you don't know yet who Jesus is. Now, let's keep reading. We'll see this. Verse 22 and 23. Well, before we do that, let's take a little exercise. Look down in your message notes, Roman number 1. I want you to write as fast as you can for about two minutes. Just write down who do you know that Jesus is. Start writing. Just who you know who Jesus is. Start writing in those five lines there. Who is Jesus to you? I love it. Most of you are just writing like a little honeybee. And I hope you can write for hours on who Jesus is. And it would be a good exercise to continue in your next quiet time. Just write down who Jesus is. And then once you get it written down, step back, look at it, and say, okay, is this who he is in my greatest disappointment? Is this who he is in my greatest temptation? Is this who he is when nothing in the day goes as I planned? And if it's not, then you haven't moved yet from what you know in your head to really knowing who Jesus is. Okay, let's read in this story, and I'll give you four great insights that when we see who Jesus is, and I want you just to keep referring, look at your list of who you wrote down. See, when we see Roman numeral 2, who Jesus is, go to verse 22 of chapter 16. After Jesus had told them in verse 21 that he was going to suffer, He was the Lamb of God, see, and he was going to be killed, but on the third day he was going to be raised. See, they didn't know he was the resurrection. That's why when it all happened, they fell apart. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, verse 22. That is, argue with him. Tell him that he just said, you're the Christ, you're God. He was telling God that he was wrong. He was telling God he didn't know what he was talking about, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Did you know what sin is? Sin is arguing with God that his way is best for us, and we're saying, I don't care that you're God. I'm going to sin because I think my way is better than what you say. And when we sin, see, we're saying, we don't understand yet who Jesus is. See, write it in, Roman numeral 2, number 1. When we see who Jesus is, He's the Christ. He's the Lord. He's the King. He's the perfect one who is faithful and true. His Word protects me. It provides for me because it's perfect. See, number 1, we stop arguing with God. And notice what Jesus said to Peter in verse 22 and 23. 
After 22, he says, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, this is the Peter that he just has said, That's good, Peter. The Father has revealed this to you, but now get behind me. Why? Because you're not setting your mind on the things of God. You're just setting your mind on the things of man. Let me ask you, and I wish, could, I, I wish we could sit across the kitchen table. This is so powerful, church family. I wish I could just have this one-on-one -on -one conversation with all of you. You that call yourself Christians, do you enjoy the fellowship of Jesus? See, a lot of Christians don't. And, and that's why they live discouraged. That's why they live angry. That's why they live upset. They don't enjoy the fellowship of Jesus. Because Jesus is holy. We just sang it. You know, a few months ago, one of my sons said to me, said, Dad, who is your favorite? I have three sons. I said, I don't have any favorites. Philip's my favorite first. Josh is my favorite second. Matt's my favorite third. Oh, no, Dad, who is your favorite? And this one son said, I think Matt's your favorite. I said, he's not. I guarantee if we could pull up my checkbook all these years, I don't know who would win because I give everything I can to every boy whenever he has a need. You could never prove that in a, a court of law. I, I love you all. Your, oh, well, Dad, we just see how you and Matt are so close together. I thought, here's a teachable moment. I said, why do you think Matt is so close to me? I said, because when Matt was six years old, by the grace of God in his little heart, Right after we played basketball, and we, we were sitting on our front step, and we were cooling down, and he looked at me and he said, Daddy, I just thank you for the way you and Mom love me so much. And I thank you for so loving God and loving His Word. And Daddy, I want to tell you right now, whatever you tell me to do, I want to trust and obey you. I don't want to ever argue with you. And you can hold me. He had heard that big word. He didn't even know what it meant. He was six years. You can hold me accountable to this, Daddy. And you know what? By the grace of God, that little boy and students, even when he was in high school and college, sometimes he would call me up and he would want to do something. And when you're 20, Remember years ago when Mizzou beat Kansas and Kansas was rated number one in the nation and Mizzou beat him on the home court? And I was watching the game with Josh, his older brother, and Josh said, Dad, you better call Matt and tell him not to rush the court because 12,000 students in Mizzou are going to rush the court because they just beat him. It was on national TV, Channel 4, Channel. They beat, and so 30 seconds before the game's over, I call Matt up. I know he's in there, and I said, Matt, I don't think it's a good idea that you rush the court. What, Dad? What? And we, we're having a big argument the whole last 30 seconds. You might get trampled on. You might get killed. Just a few months ago, some guy got his neck broken by rushing the court. Well, Dad, I want to rush the court. I said, you know, and, and for the, forever he says, that's one of the worst things Josh ever said in his life when he said, Dad, call Matt and tell him not to rush the court. So at least I shared the heartache and the blame, you know, with his big brother. But you know what, students? Everything in Matt wanted to rush the court. And I said, well, honey, I'll just trust you with it, because we were just arguing. He did not rush the court. And now he stayed mad at me for about the next 10 years. <laughs> not really. That was a hard one to get over, because everything in him wanted to rush the court. But see, he had resolved. And what is that the discipline of? That's the discipline of humility. When we come to the place that we know the Lord has perfect truth and we say to Him, I will put my life under your control and I will trust and obey you. 
Well, let me tell you, with that attitude with Matt, all of you know, we've enjoyed a sweet fellowship. I want you to know I enjoy And since I told my other two sons that, and after I had one, I told the other son, I said, you know what? God wants us all to have such a sweet fellowship with each other. And it's made a difference even in my other two sons that I say, let's guard our hearts that we cherish our love for each other and we show that the way we live. Wouldn't that be good if we all took that home today? How much do you love your daddy? A lot? Just a lot. I love him a lot. How much do you love your daddy? Crazy amount. You can't verbalize how much you love your daddy, right? Sugar, would your daddy ever do anything to hurt you? Never. Because Jesus has changed his life. You know what would bless his life today? On the way home, you say, Dad, whatever you tell me, I'm getting ready to leave and go away to school. Whatever you tell me, Daddy, I'm going to trust Jesus in you. And I will honor you. You watch how sweet your fellowship grows. What if every husband and wife, what if every husband, I know we needed this because I never even thought of this until right now. What if every husband and wife went home and said, you know what, humble before the Lord, I'm going to love you as Christ loves the church. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to just bless you, bless you, bless you. And you would say, Melissa, honey, I want you to know I'm going to die to Christ and I'm going to, in his spirit, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to respect you. And we're going to be kind and tenderhearted and see you're building a value. This is who we're going to be at home. And home becomes a little piece of what? Heaven. We're getting ready to go to heaven. Amen. That's good enough for your dog and cat, let me tell you. Let's go on. we got to go on to two. I know we needed that. We could go home right now, but it's, it gets better. Look at number two. Look at number two. Did you get number one written in? It's the discipline of humility, obeying God's Word. Look at number two. Go to verse 24, 25. Verse 24, 25. Then Jesus told his disciples. See, it's everywhere in the Gospels. If anyone would come after me, we looked at Luke 9, 23. Let him deny himself. We're going through our second discipline we've been talking about. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. See, that's the denying. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, write it in. When we see who Jesus is, we will follow him. And it's the discipline of denying yourself and walking by the Spirit. You know, as I was meditating on this passage today, and I just want you to know, Matt is going to be here next weekend for cold winter nights. And I hope all the students, middle school and high school, are ready for that. It's going to be an incredible Friday night, Saturday night. Be praying for our host families, our students, our leaders. But Matt's going to be preaching next Sunday morning because I'll be starting life development. And Matt now is the senior high youth pastor in a mega church down in Arlington, Texas, and he preaches to hundreds of students. And, and he's going to be preaching on Counting the cost because you know who Jesus is. That's one of the reasons why I said, well, I'll set you up, buddy. I can continue our study of these disciplines to see they're everywhere, but I'll set you up because you've got to know who Jesus is if you're willing to what? Count the cost. And uh, as I was thinking of this message this week, a happening came to my mind that I hadn't thought of in over 15, 16 years. And I was just sitting, and, and the Lord brought to my mind, it was about 18 and a half years ago, we just started West County Community Church. And for all of you that are exercise people in Ellisville or Baldwin, what happened 19 and a half years ago? Do you remember? It was the greatest thing since fudge. The Baldwin Point opened. And so my boys came home one day and figured out, they found out if we could get Mama to get a job there, we would get a huge discount, and the whole family could go there, and Dad, we can play every afternoon. Remember, Scott? And so we talked Mama, 
Miss Ronnie into getting a job there. And so I was there five, six nights near every Saturday. And it was the best shape I've ever been in. Because, I mean, I was working out two, three hours. And, and we were playing ball all the time, lifting weights. And one guy I met, he was an atheist. He didn't even believe in God. It was a great place to share Christ. But we just liked each other, and he'd spot me, and he'd never learned how to play basketball. So I'd take him down and try to teach him how to shoot, and he was enjoying that. But one day we had him in our home. And his job, he had a Ph.D. in business psychology. Have you ever heard of that, Holly? Business psychology. So he had a big-paying job, hundreds of thousands of dollars, that he'd go to corporations all across America, and he would help them, looking at their vision statement, go to the next level. And so he started coming to our church, and he started learning. And, of course, I was sharing Christ with him. And he just wasn't ready to give his life to Christ. And so one day, right as they were leaving our home, for you that have been in my home, you know that staircase, as soon as you come in the front door, it's that style that you go upstairs for the bedrooms. And often when I'm ready for people to go, but they're not ready to go, I just sit on the steps. And then they'd been there for three hours. So I just sat on the steps. So if you're ever at my home and we're talking at the door and I sit on my steps, I am saying, I'd like for you to leave, okay? <laughs> and he wasn't ready to leave. And, and so he said to me, he said, Pastor, I just want you to know, I've been studying your vision statement. And you know what our vision statement says? We are surrendered to be a dynamic community of faith. And he said, I'll just make this prediction right now. I know people. It's my job. And you're never going to find too many people that are willing to surrender. And so I'll make this prediction right now. Your church is never going to grow very big. And he went on, you know, and he was trying to be an expert, and I wasn't even paying him for it. But finally, when he ran out of soap, I just said, I still remember, and the Lord brought it back to my mind this week. I said, well, I can tell you, and I called him by his first name, the only reason why. If that is true, and only time will tell, there's only one reason why. And I said, it will be because people don't know who Jesus is. If you never surrender your life to Jesus, I mean surrender where you submit your life to the authority of His Word, that's humility. You surrender your life to His Holy Spirit. You walk by the Spirit. You don't walk by your flesh. You deny yourself. You persevere. If you never get there, I want you to know it's not because of your past. It's not because of anything except you don't see who Jesus is. Like John 1.14 said, the Jews did not see the glory of Jesus. Once you see who Jesus is, and increasingly as you see who Jesus is, you will fall down on your face before the Lord. You will humble yourself before God. You will deny yourself. You will see it is incomprehensible grace that I can exchange this old sinful, self-centered, blind person that falls for everything, and I can walk in the perfect truth of Jesus Christ and be free in his life and victorious in his life and joyous in his life. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, let's read on here a few more insights before we close. Keep your radar up. Keep listening. It, it gets even better. See, did you write in number two? We follow him. It's the discipline of denying yourself and walking by the Spirit. And just write in there, Galatians 5, 16. We either walk by the Spirit, that's filled with the Holy Spirit, or we walk by the flesh. It's one or the other. And then number three, verse 26. Verse 26. For what will it profit a man? Underline this whole sentence. For what will it profit any person if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, write it in. When we see who Jesus is, we know what profits us the most. And that's why it's the discipline of persevering and being faithful no matter what the pressure is to compromise, no matter what the pressure is to quit on God. I am going to see that my life is going to count for Jesus. I tell you, last night when Brad was telling his story, 
And it was all a story of grace. And buddy, when you started telling that story about your mom and dad getting saved, and I was a dumb preacher, I didn't know anything about all that stuff. I didn't know about their lostness. I didn't know about their darkness. I didn't know about their heart. I'm just walking in a hospital room, and so I do what you should do, right? Has anyone ever told you how much Jesus loves you? No. And because people have been praying for this mom and dad, her heart was tender, and she ends up giving her life to Christ. I didn't know how hard the, your daddy's heart was, but I just say across the bed, you know, Mr. Gilbert, has anyone told you how much Jesus loves you? And he gets saved. And last night as I was just sitting listening to you that God just crushed me and how good he is and how great he is and how privileged we are as self-centered jerks to come to him humble and trust the death of the cross, trust the resurrection, trust his invitation. If you'll come unto me and be yoked unto me and humble yourself to me, I'll come into your life and I just won't come in. I'll transform it. I'll exchange your old littleness for my greatness, I'll exchange whatever your perspective is, that you'll see the eternal riches of Jesus Christ, and you're a joint heir with Christ, and you can always walk in victory. And I tell you, I was just weeping over there saying, God, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good. And what if I'd have quit? What if I'd have quit in all the millions of times I've been discouraged because I hadn't learned yet to deny myself? Sweeties, let me tell you, if you haven't learned to deny yourself, yourself will be the biggest bully you've ever met. And it will continue to run over you and intimidate you and make your life discouraged and defeated instead of always walking in triumphant procession in Christ. Oh, what profits me? What profits me is every day to live in the discipline of humility and denying myself the way of Jesus and, 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 and hupomanoing, persevering, and being faithful. And last verse as we close. Look at verse 27. Verse 27. Oh, for the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of this Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Oh, right in number four, we see the big picture. When we see who Jesus is, we, we see the big picture. It's the discipline of being single-minded and staying fixed on pleasing God. Let me ask you today as we close, is there anything in your life that you'd rather have right now than the joy of pleasing God? I told the staff last Monday, if you were here last Sunday, it was a precious time. Just like today's a precious time. But remember, Ronnie and Joe and Babs and Kirk saying, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. And I tell you, I was sitting over here playing for them. And I don't know if you noticed, I was weeping through most of it. Because as I was playing that song that I've played since I was 16, that's why I don't need the music or anything. I can play it in any key. I just play it. So I, I was just listening to the Spirit. And last Sunday when I was playing that, and we hadn't sang that hymn in 10, 15 years, so it was like a new song, even though it was an old song, but I knew all the words. And you know, the words just keep repeating, I'd rather have Jesus than what? I'd rather have Jesus than what? Anything. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Anything covers it, doesn't it? I'd rather have Jesus than anything. And as I'm playing that for them, the Spirit of God says, you know what? You preached it all your life, but you've been the biggest hypocrite I see right now because you sure haven't lived it. That's what he said to me. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor Phil? I'll tell you what I mean. Often I preach victory in Jesus on Sunday, but because of disappointments, of what I expected, I went home and spent Sunday afternoon discouraged. If I'd rather have Jesus than anything, I'd never have a discouraging moment in my life. That's why the Apostle Paul could get beaten, and whipped, and he could be singing praises at midnight. That's why he could spend four years in prison and say, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am. You know what? Because he had come to the place that he'd rather have Jesus than anything. 
And I know I want you to know, last Sunday, sitting at that bench, I had my invitation with God. I said, God, I want to live the rest of my life, whatever you give me. And I want it to be the reality of my life that I'd rather have you than anything. So anything that disappoints me, anything that irritates me, anything that aggravates me, I want you to take me back to that moment and say, that's okay. That's okay. I'd rather have Jesus than anything, and it's not going to steal my joy. It's not going to steal my victory. Are you tracking with me? You say, well, Pastor, if it took you 61 years, how in the world do you think I can make it and I'm only 30 or 40 or 50? It's called grace. I wish someone would have ever said that to me 10 years ago. Miss Judy, you know Jason Julian. You know what a fire plug he is? Albert, you know who he is? He's spoken in our church here before. Remember, man, he spoke at Manly Night, either last year or the year before. He's that guy that's doing that incredible ministry downtown. Well, see, he knows how I love him. I'm kind of like a daddy that he never had. He called me up on Friday and he said, Pastor, I'm a mess. I'm discouraged. I'm burnt out. I'm stressed out. Pastor, I'm not enjoying anything. And he says, the one thing that makes me matter than anything is each day when I come home, in fact, I've told my wife, don't ever ask me that again. And she loves to do it. She says, honey, was your day productive today? I hate that. I say, no, it wasn't productive. And if you know Jason, you can get right into this. So once he got through, I said, are you done? He said, yes. I said, buddy, you got one problem. I knew you'd tell me, Pastor, you got one problem. You know what it is? No, what is it? I said, you're living an undisciplined life. I said, just, you just said your life's chaotic. It's confusion. It's interrupted. I said, if you'll start in the morning getting on your knees and saying, Father, I humble myself before you. I deny myself. I ask you to control my life by your Holy Spirit. I ask you to lead me by the authority of your word. And whatever comes in my life, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. And Lord, this is your day and I'm yours. So I'm rejoicing in you. And you live in that discipline. Your day will be profitable. Because God will make it profitable. And you go home and you love your wife and you serve your wife and you wash the dishes. And you play with your children. And as you're doing that, that's not waste of time. That's profitable. And you just say each day, I pray this for my life, Jason. Lord, order my steps today. So if it's got 100 interruptions, I know you're ordering them. And I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to be disciplined. And each day I can lay my head down and say, praise God for the profitable day you gave me. Because it's all to his honor and glory, right? Wouldn't that be good enough for all of you to swallow that pill? That's a life-changing pill. Well, let's take our insert out. That's our message for today. Living in the disciplines. You get this insert? Now, this is for you that did not do this last week because we had the ice freeze, and many of you were not here or you were sick. Now, this is only for members. That is, you did this last year. If you're a new person, I want to see you in life development next week. But see, let's read this together. Because we understand church membership is much more than a one-time exciting decision. It is an active participation. See, it's living it out as God keeps teaching me. Hopefully today there's been a lot of teaching that's taken root in your heart and you say, I got it. I just need to start living a disciplined life in the grace of God. It is an active participation of fulfilling that decision God led us to make when we became a part, whenever that was. And read this next paragraph with me. Why don't we stand together? Having received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and been baptized and being in agreement with West County Community Church's vision, values, and covenant, I now feel led by the Holy Spirit to reaffirm my commitment to be a covenant member of WCC, together to be a dynamic community of faith, endeavoring to impact the world by experiencing, living, modeling, and communicating authentic faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I have heard God's call to walk in obedience to Him, knowing I have God's presence, power, provision, and promises to walk in obedience. I hold to God's purpose to live out His will for my life. Therefore, increasingly, my intention is to become fully a worshiping, caring, and sharing person, exalting the Savior. And what I invite you to do, members, is reaffirm and understand the way you reaffirm as you do it through the disciplines of grace that you see throughout the Scriptures. These are just reaffirmations that were done in the first service. And so you just bring yours up. We're going to sing a powerful new song that we're all just loving every time we sing it because it's so true. And if you can't sing it, if you're not a singer, at least speak the words as the praise team plays. Let's, let's worship the Lord. And you come now. Let's just say those words together. Refiner's fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy. Set apart for you, Lord, I choose to be holy. Do you see the indescribable privilege of, of living that life? I mean, if you've been having a bad day, you just say, I can live that kind of life holy before the Lord. Is Kimberly Fowl in this room? Kimberly Sugar, are you here? Well, she was supposed to be here, but she gets so excited and passionate about teaching children, she forgot in the first service, I was hoping she'd remember. Well, she is leaving this week with a bunch of her high school girls, and they're going to Dominican Republic to play softball with the national ladies team and then share Jesus. So you just be praying. It's on your prayer calendar when she leaves, when she comes back, and just be praying for God's divine protection and power on her and those girls. And two, she's taking some girls that don't know Jesus. I'm not a betting man, but do you think any of those girls will come back not knowing Jesus? Because they're going to hear who Jesus is. And uh, today, Albert and Deidre, you guys come down here. Albert's leaving. He's going on mission to uh, L.A. Come on, buddy. We're going to pray for you. He leaves today or tomorrow, and we're going to pray over them and pray over Albert. You know, you guys, you'll never know that our missionary, Albert, he plays baseball in his pastime, but he's our missionary to L.A., Last year, as soon as he got there, one Sunday night, he called me and says, Pastor, I have my first three appointments. Let's go over sharing the gospel and make sure I get it right. <laughs> See, you'll never hear that on TV, that he's getting equipped to share Jesus. But we're going to pray. And, buddy, you just remember, 
any trouble you have, any difficulty you have, you just get alone and say, Lord, I just need to see you. That's what I do. And you're going to have to do it a lot because I still have to do it every day. And Deidre, when you're missing him, and AJ, when you're missing Daddy, that's what you got to do. You got to get on your knees and say, Lord, I'm just really struggling now, so I need to see you. I need to see you. And then just pray that God would work mightily in and through Albert. You know, there's more Spanish people in L.A. County than any other place in the United States. Did you know that? And this is our missionary to L.A. Okay? So let's just pray. We're going to pray. Hold Papa's hand there. Hold Daddy's hand. And sweeties, I'm praying for the Pujols family, but I'm praying for you, my church family. Uh, just take the hands of your family members. Ronnie, come on up here. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you that by your grace, Lord, you've opened our eyes. You've taken that old veil away that the God of this age, the devil, puts upon us and we're blind and and we think surrender to you is a hard thing or a bad thing when it's the greatest gift we could ever have to lose our life, to, to be saved by your life. And, and so, Father, first, we just thank you that we, by grace, can just continually be refined by your fire that's righteousness and perfection and perfect truth and holiness and kindness and goodness. Oh, Father... We thank you today that when we go home, we'll establish, if we haven't already, values that we're going to be humble to each other as we're humble to you, and we're going to be kind and tender-hearted to each other. We're going to be sweet and forgiving and loving. We're going to be encouraging. We're going to serve one another as we serve you, God. And, and Father, we just pray as a church family for Albert and Deidre. And we just thank you, Lord, in all the places they go, that they would just ever remember whose they are. They're yours, Lord, and they live for your purpose in their life. And they live by discipline, the discipline of grace, of being humble. They're going to obey your word. They're going to deny their self. When everyone in the world says you're great, they're going to say apart from Christ, as Jesus said, we're nothing. But he's the vine, and we're the branch, and we're going to bear forth much fruit to his honor and glory and our joy. And, Father, we just thank you for your divine protection upon Albert as he flies all over the country and sometimes the world. And, and every time a mic is put in front of his face, that he just remember whose he is. He's the Lord's. He's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, Father, we thank you. For all those players and coaches and TV people, whoever, that he'll have the opportunity to just say, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. I just want you to know God loves you. I want you to know it's all about grace and the truth of God's Word. And Father, we just we pray for the pool host is what I pray, Father, for every person in this place that you might do exceeding abundantly above anything they could ever imagine in and through their life, by your power. And so that means, Lord, we're going to walk in sweet fellowship, surrendered to your power. And we just praise you. I just thank you for your care and working for A.J. and Deidre's children. Oh, Father, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, Lord, today as we go out, we go out as salt and light because it's a needy, needy world. And we thank you. We walk in the light of Jesus. And we praise you for that holy, holy privilege. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you all, sweet folks. God bless you. You're my buddy. <laughs>